0: Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the Senior Pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So what does God say about money? Part three. Uh, So this is the part
1: three is about offerings and the point of generosity. So, as Pastor Steve mentioned, week one, we talked about financial stewardship, discipleship, renouncing material possessions. Week two, we talked about the tithe and it belongs to the Lord and that's to um, resource the church to advance God's kingdom. And today, we want to talk about generosity in offerings. Offerings that are not the tithe, they are on top of the tithe or separate from the tithe. Remember that... The starting point for learning about what God says about money is found in the teachings of Jesus. And we mentioned uh, in Luke 14, 33, where Jesus talked about um, renouncing our material possessions. And I mentioned that in answer to one of the questions. If If we get that from the beginning, the rest is easy. And we'll never want for anything because the Lord promises to provide. So even when we tithe, the Lord promises to test him in the tithe for us as a church to see if he will not open the uh the the the, the gates of heaven and pour out such a blessing so that we will no longer have any need. Now there's a lot of people who tithe that they you you give to God and you can't outgive God so God will make you filthy rich and he'll bless you and that, that. well the scripture says God will make sure you've got all your needs. He's not concerned about you being filthy rich. you being the filthy rich. It's very hard for a rich man to get in the kingdom of heaven. Very hard. Why? Because of idolatry. So if you, if you are well-to-do and you're well-off, God bless you. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. It's what you do with it and your heart condition. There was a concern for Jesus. And in Jesus' experience, people who loved money became idolatrous and were quite stingy. So I want to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and I want to read um, from 1 to 15 and we're going to talk about some of that but we, really important when you read a passage of scripture to get it in its context. We don't want to pluck a verse out of its context because it, it loses its meaning then and when we take it out of its meaning what, what can we do to it? Well we have to give it our meaning and as preachers and teachers our role is not to give our thoughts uh, through God's word we're supposed to give God's thoughts through our words does that make sense so we want to get the context so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth this is probably his fourth letter to them we know it's called 2nd Corinthians 1st Corinthians was probably the second letter um, and the, the first and third are somehow lost to us but this is the, the, the fourth letter and it's in advance of him coming and he sent a delegation they have committed to uh, providing this offering that we're going to be talking about. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about to you, about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them but I'm sending the brothers so that your our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be otherwise if some Macedonians come with me to find that you are not ready we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident so they're taking an offering for the church in Jerusalem because Jerusalem and that, that beyond Jerusalem, there was a famine at the time in the first century, and so they 're traveling to all sorts of different churches that they the Christian churches, uh, and, and Paul is talking about uh, giving and contributing to the famine that is in Jerusalem. So this is what this offering is all about. This is why we don 't talk about tithing from this passage, though sometimes we have in the past, but no longer, because we 've repented. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised. So they may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, Or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he, meaning God, has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. this passage described what Shane Willard has kindly written on the on the back cover of my book. Have you guys heard Shane Willard? Yeah. He's just like a fantastic teacher and has tremendous insights into the Hebrew culture, Hebrew theology, the Old Testament. He and I have been talking a lot about these sorts of things. And he, he, he kindly just put a commendation on the back and he talks about this Not this passage per se, but the principle in this passage. And this is what he says in part. Mastering the art of giving and receiving is critical to being a functioning member of any part of creation. To master either one without the other leads to a toxic existence being a receiver and not a giver whether the issue is breathing eating or how we think about things we must be willing to wrestle with our primary frameworks for both our inflow what we receive and our outflow what we give breathe in breathe out food in food out water in water out money in money out he says and he says Can we allow the word to be made flesh and create a habit in our lives to master the tension between kingdom advancement and personal abundance? It's a really good phrase, isn't it? So he's talking about this principle of giving and receiving. So what is the context of 2 Corinthians passage that we've just read? Well, as I mentioned to you, there's a famine in Jerusalem. The apostles are travelling and they are uh, uh, asking all of the Christian churches to contribute out of what they are able to contribute. This is not the tithe for their local church. This is for an offering to help the poor and the poverty stricken Christians, their brothers and sisters in another part of the world in Jerusalem. And so they had already committed to giving. And so Paul writes to them, some other apostles are coming. They're going to come in advance of me. Uh, be ready when I come. Be ready when they come with your offering. Don't be weary in doing good and, and make sure that you, you, you fulfill your pledge. Because, you know, it's important if we make a pledge to keep it like we give our you know we made we my wife and i made a pledge for our vision fund and you know we're re- reminded every month by pastor stacy she gives our monthly update um we we, we need the funds to come in. so we made the pledge we still have to remember to give it so they made a pledge to help the christians the, their brothers and sisters in jerusalem and so paul's reminding them he doesn't have to tell them about it all again that's why i said it would be superfluous for me to say all that again In the very beginning. So, in the first few verses, he encourages the Corinthians to complete their collection prior to his arrival. In verses 6 to 16, Paul gives the Corinthians a wonderful explanation of the theology of free will giving. And this is really good theology. So, what is Paul saying to the disciples of Corinth about these free will offerings, this giving? Well, we need to just work our way slowly through the passage in its context to understand it most appropriately. One of the things that I just cannot ever bring myself to do is just to look at one phrase out of context. Because you misinterpret it then, you misunderstand it then. You have to look at everything in its context because it's a story, it's a narrative, it's a, it's a paragraph, it's a thought. And we have to understand every sentence in the context of that thought. So it begins... In, in verse 5 here So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go ahead to you And arrange in advance for the gift you have promised So that it may be ready as a willing gift Not as an exaction Exaction It's a funny word isn't it So the word gift here actually is not the word which we You know if I bring a present and I give it to you like a gift It's the word blessing From which eulogia where we get eulogy from or something that is a blessing. So it's a gift that is actually a blessing to someone. The word exaction here is the word for covetousness. What does that mean? Well, by saying that their gift is to be characteristic of a blessing and not covetousness, Paul means that it is to come from an expansive or a generous heart, not a grudging spirit, So grudgingly, if I don't want to give, now, if I'm not able to give, I don't have to give. If you're not able to give, you don't have to give if you're not able to. But if you're able to give and you don't because you want to keep it for yourself, that's what Paul is saying is the exaction. It's covetousness. It's coming from a grudging spirit. You're keeping it for yourself. A desire to be a blessing to others is important rather than grasping money for themselves by withholding the promise they've already made. That's what Paul's saying here that makes sense so if they were to share in the offering it would be a blessing to the Christians in Jerusalem so their gift is intended to be a blessing that's why Paul uses that language if they refuse to share with the needy in Jerusalem it would be because of their greed we refuse to share because we want to keep the money for ourselves that's greed now again if you're not able to give that's I'm not talking about that if we're able to give, we want to be a blessing. Exaction means greed or covetousness. And Paul in Colossians 3.5 calls that idolatry. Greed or covetousness is idolatry. And we want, to, we want to stay away from idolatry. That's a strong word. So verse 6, the point is this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully which is the same word as the word gift in the previous verse. It means upon blessings. It, this isn't a word that talks about um, extravagantly or generously, though he talks about generosity in a moment. It's upon blessings. So whoever sows bountifully to be a blessing to others will also reap upon blessings in other words if you sow to others or share with others out of what you are able then you will be a blessing to others you will reap blessings from God that's what Paul's saying so this is this is the beginning of um, the principle of sowing and reaping and the Bible has a lot to say about sowing and reaping I actually have a little section in the book here if you want to get it it's not very expensive it talks about sowing and reaping it's a good book we should not be deceived in thinking that we won't reap what we sow, Paul says, meaning we certainly will. If we sow trouble, we will receive trouble, meaning if we cause trouble, it will come back to bite us. If we sow injustice, we will reap calamity. And there's scriptures here for all this, meaning that if we treat people unfairly, we caught disaster and it will find us and turn on us. On the other hand, if we sow for ourselves righteousness, we will reap steadfast love and whether we sow to the flesh or from the flesh reap corruption or sow to the spirit reap eternal life we will reap what we sow if you sow generously you'll reap bountifully so there's a whole section on there Um, who would like a copy of this as a gift everyone else has to buy one there you go hope that's a blessing to you that's from me oh don't need to sign it it's about (laughs) Jesus not me but if you want it signed I'm happy to see if Jesus will sign it (laughs) so the point is here Paul is making to give is to sow this is theology of giving now to give is to sow not to tithe because the tithe is the Lord's when we give we sow and it's the language of farming now the New Testament in the first century they were very much an agrarian society though many of the cities were becoming more commercialised and um, uh, they travelled a lot and there were merchants in and out but still mainly it was an agrarian society and certainly um, Israel in its foundations were so they understood that a farmer goes out and sows seed and Jesus talked about the parable of the word of God was seed so to give is to sow To give is to sow. What we give is not lost, but it's invested. So when we sow in the ground, we don't lose that, do we? We've invested it in a harvest and we expect a return. We can expect a return because this is what Paul is teaching. In the same way that a farmer sows seed, we can receive a harvest for our contribution to someone else's need in whatever form God decides to make that to us so our seed has the power of life and it has the power of increase has the power of life to bless others has the power of increase to multiply to us in Proverbs eleven twenty five, whoever brings blessing will be enriched the one who waters himself will be watered this is Hebrew theology And Paul was a Hebrew, Hebrew of Hebrews. Jesus was a Hebrew. They all understood Hebrew theology and they taught what God says about money from a Hebrew theology. Verse 6 here is a reference to the principle of sowing and reaping, giving and receiving. It's cause and effect. Cause and effect. You do something, there's always an effect. So... In the same way, the measure in which we enter into this reality of giving determines the benefit that we receive from it. So if we give generously, we will receive generously somehow. Now, whether it's financial generosity or in some other way, whatever God chooses to repay us or, or multiply to us, it will enrich us. But if we're tithing, we're already expecting that God will always provide for us So we'll never be in need. So this is on top of that uh, as as an act of great generosity. Freely given, generous contributions produce a bountiful yield. And we can test God in this. Because if this is true theology for us, we sow, we give, we invest. When we truly want to bless other people, Then God will bless us in return. Now, what we need to be careful of is that we don't allow greed to be the motivating factor of our giving. Because if we give just to get, we're not giving to bless, even though our language might say that. It's a matter of the heart, isn't it? So, even some teaching nowadays in the church give to get. Taps into people's covetousness, and we 've got to kill covetousness, and we, we, we need to somehow manage the balance between giving for a blessing and still believing that God is a blesser of those who sow to bless other people. Does that make sense? So it's so much a matter of the heart, isn't it? So much a matter of the heart. In verse 17, it says, "Each one must give. As he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when you you decide to give because you are able to give and you decide to give something, give it generously, give it with all your heart. But you can decide what you give. With the tithe, the Lord has decided that because he's got to keep the house of God working. But the offering, we get to decide what we give when there's a need before us, whether it's a vision fund whether it's for a building fund, whether it's for a guest speaker. You don't give me an offering because I'm paid already by the church. So uh, we're not taking up an offering for me, are we, today? For the Mike Gretchko New Boat Fund? No, No, just kidding. Uh, So, but when we have guest speakers at... um, Uh, at our church and particularly those who are not from another church like Shane Willow for example he's full-time itinerant he's dependent on love offerings so we can decide what we give in those circumstances so when we hear about a need whether it's in a foreign foreign nation whether it's for a flood um, victim or a, a region or it's some other need that we're contributing to as a church or you as an individual or you as a life group you get to choose what you give but when you've made that decision in your heart don't do it reluctantly give it with a cheerful heart Do do it because it's going to make a difference in those people's lives it's going to bless them it's going to help them It's going to provide food for them. It's going to provide clothing for them. It's going to provide whatever it is that they need that you are contributing towards. It's going to make a difference in their lives and their lives will be blessed and enriched as a result of that. So give it with that in mind. Give it with all your heart. And so remember the widow who gave two small coins but was commended by Jesus for giving more than those who gave an even greater amount. Why? Because they gave reluctantly and they ga- gave out of the abundance of what they had but, but she gave out of what little she had but she still gave it with all of her heart. It's a matter of what's in the heart. It's not how much you give, it's what's in the heart when you give it. You can choose. So the word reluctantly here means, it's an interesting word, it's it's not so much begrudgingly, but the word means out of pain or out of sorrow. If it grieves you to give, don't give. Because that's what Paul is saying. Give it cheerfully, not out of, if, if it's going to grieve you, it's going to cause you pain to give, then don't give. And it's okay. You're not required to give when an offering is presented to you. If you're not able to give, you're not able to give and, and that's okay There are seasons when we haven't been able to give We've been like by the breadline um, Many, many years ago When, when Sue and I were uh, Living in Croydon, I was studying Theology at Bible College of Victoria Sue was teaching um, We had a little 12 square weatherboard house We just bought the house, we borrowed some money from dad To be able to just get that $71,000 House <laughs> 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 on a huge block that you put four units on now and make a squillion dollars um, wish we never sold that thing anyway so we were like I, I was working weekend shift Sue was working as a teacher and, and so we, we didn't have anything spare so there were times when there were needs brought to the church we just weren't able to give but other times when we were able to give we gave as, as we were able to give but we didn't feel guilty about that and we ought not to feel guilty. If we're not able to give, we don't give. But if you're able to give, don't, don't let it pain you to give. That's what reluctantly means. It ought not to grieve you. It ought not to be sorrowful for you to give. If that's the case, hang on to it. It's not your time to give. Decide in your heart what you can give and then give it cheerfully. Joyfully, gladly With all of your heart The word here, cheerfully Is a word from which we get our English word Hilarious from Joyful, gladness Fun That's how giving ought to be It ought to be hilarious Sort of like my dad jokes See, a little bit of hilarity going on I know my my kids have been telling me for Nearly 20 years that I need new material but I haven't told any dad jokes yet no I'm, I'm going to try not to but this is this when we cheerful is something that brings hilarity it's like joyfulness it's gladness it's it's that lightness of spirits fun Don't it to be fun to give to someone with a, need? It be a good thing it's good for our soul it's good for their lives Scripture says in verse 8, As God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. If the Corinthians had any fears that their giving to the Christians in Jerusalem might have left them impoverished themselves, themselves, Paul reminds them that God is able to make all grace abound to them so that because of their generosity they would always have enough. God is seen as their provider. So this verse is a quote from Psalm 112 and Psalm 112 in, in its whole psalm talks about God's own righteousness being revealed in his giving to the poor. God gives to the poor through his people, but God is seen to be giving to the poor and loving the poor. And there is a lot of similar contexts. It's blessed the man who fears the Lord. Wealth and riches are in his house. His righteousness endures forever. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends. For the righteous will never be moved. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. To the Hebrew, in their culture, a righteous man is a generous man. You read some of the Psalms that talk about righteousness, it is linked very, very closely to generosity. So, in the Hebrew mindset, a generous person, uh, sorry, a, a righteous person was seen to be righteous when he was generous interesting isn't it and there's, there's, a, there's, there's a very strong link in many scriptures throughout the Hebrew scriptures how beautiful are the promises in this passage in particular those that come from this verse in verse 10 he says he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness what's you're right, the harvest of your righteousness, the harvest of your generosity. When you give generously, you can expect a harvest because you will reap what you sow. Reaping is harvesting, you reap what you sow. If you are righteous, you are generous, that's the harvest of righteousness. You won't get more righteousness, but your righteousness is manifesting giving in generosity. And so the harvest of your righteousness, which God gives to you, is to provide for you with plenty you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God he says seed for the sower and bread for food you're the person who is the sower God will give you more seed to sow and if you are generous with your giving or cheerfully giving giving according to this sowing and reaping then he will always also give you bread for food. Bread is for you to eat. That's provision for you. And he will give you more so that you can sow to others. And he says you will always have enough for food to eat for yourself and enough to give somebody something when you see someone in need. It's an amazing passage of scripture, isn't it? This is theology of giving. Giving. Theology of giving. Provision of more seed that you can sow when you see and eat in others you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way you'll be provided for and this is genuine Hebrew theology in practice giving and receiving sowing and reaping righteousness is manifest in the act of generosity you know our our word social justice our term social justice nowadays the word in, in both old and new testament the word justice is righteousness it's the same word So justice is righteousness. So when we do good works, when we help other people, that is righteousness. And part of that righteousness is being generous to help them with their needs. It's a great passage of scripture, isn't it? Don't you love it? I love this. The fruit of righteousness might well be the same as the fruit of generosity. And God promises for us to receive a harvest of what is sown in return. And then in verse 12, says uh, the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but also the overflowing in many thanksgivings to God so when we give generously God promises that we will receive a blessing but God receives praise and thanksgiving we receive a harvest of righteousness we receive bountifully in return when we give generously but God also receives thanksgiving and praise because when we bless people in the name of the Lord, they give God thanks because of the generosity that we provide. It's interesting, isn't it? In the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, early on there when Jesus uh, talked about you are the light of the world, um, and a light in a house can't be hid under a bucket or a container. It's got to show. So let your good deeds be made known so that people may praise God my father in heaven. Remember that passage? Well, there are a lot of secular organisations that do a lot of good work in the world. But people don't end up praising God. They just thank the organisation for helping them. So what's the difference? Well, we give in the name of the Lord and when we give, people know we're doing it because we love Jesus and we love them because God loves them and we bring the gospel to them. And so, unfortunately, in the Western world, in the last probably 20 20 or so years, we have separated social justice and evangelism. And so some people think it's all about social justice, all about social justice, and they do good works in the community and never preach Jesus. And there are others that preach Jesus but never help people with their real needs. In the Scriptures, they're never separated To love someone and preach the gospel is to help them with their need in the name of Jesus. When we help them in the name of Jesus, we want them to know why we're helping them. Because they have intrinsic value because they are made in the image of God and God loves them. You can't separate social justice and evangelism. You bring them together and people's lives are impacted temporarily in this world with the need that you provide and eternally with the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings them to faith because they know God has reached out to them to meet their real needs. And every time Jesus encountered an individual with a need, he said, what can I do for you? He never ignored their need and preached the kingdom. He always began with, what can I do for you? Helping people with their needs is part of our calling as church. Generosity. The point of generosity is loving people and treating them as the people of God, uh, people who are made in the image of God, people that Jesus died for, people who have intrinsic value, not because of their wealth, status, position, colour, race, anything, but because they exist. And God made them in his image and God loves them and Jesus died for their sins. So as I mentioned, we, we sow into people's needs. We get back a bountifully and and they are blessed, ministered to and they give praise to God this is really rich theology of giving so in summary, how do we give? we give bountifully upon blessings we want to bless so that what we give is a real blessing to people we give as we decide in our heart no one ought to tell us what we should or shouldn't give the scripture says and if the scripture says that that's what we do don't let anybody tell you different to what the scripture says we give according to what is in our heart what we are able to give when Moses was building the tabernacle the first iteration of the house of God where tithing was instituted he took up an offering and collection from all the spoils of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt they took stuff from the the Egyptians gold, silver, all sorts of riches and wealth they just gave it to them and they went and so he needed stuff and again, he said, give out of what you're able to give. Whatever your heart is moved to give. But there's no, there wasn't compulsory. But everybody who can give ought to give something. Whatever they can. Out of the heart, though. Because the finances are all about the heart. And if the finances have been separated from the heart, if we've said goodbye, if we renounce them, and everything belongs to him anyway, it is a whole lot easier, isn't it? scripture says we ought to give not reluctantly not out of grief it ought not to pain us to give if it's going to pain us to give hang on to it till next time because that's not how we give not under, under compulsion we're not required to but cheerfully hilariously next time we take up an offering he laugh your heads off <laughs> laugh your heads off be joyful and glad about it because it's going to make a difference in people's lives and generous be as generous as you possibly can. You know, one of the sections I, I write in my book, you know, when we, have, um, when we get a snake bite, we have to put pressure on it. We've got to get the antivenom as soon as we can because it's poisonous. When we drink a poison or we're infected by a poison, we need an antidote, don't we, that neutralizes the poison. Generosity is the antidote to covetousness generosity is the antidote to greed you can destroy greed in your life not by making a decision only by being generous because the two cannot exist in the same person because it's a matter of the heart for you to be generous of heart means there's no room for covetousness, no room for greed so generosity is the antidote so what do we receive we receive a bountiful blessing We receive God's affirmation. We receive the knowledge that other people's lives are changed by our giving. Whatever it is, however little we are able to contribute, it's going to make a difference. And we have the joy of knowing that if it makes a difference in their life and they give thanks to God, then God is well pleased with that. That's a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing to give when we're able to give. And it's a good thing to be generous. We ought to be generous on every occasion.
0: Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.